listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Welcome back to another edition of Faith Stories. Today I'm joined by Eric West. He's been here at Faith for about four years, and he and his wife Sam have four kids. He works as a general contractor, and he also serves on the Men of Faith team. So welcome, Eric. Thanks for being here. Uh, thank you. Welcome. Happy to be here. Yeah. So why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, the basics. Uh, yeah. Let's see. I'm uh, going to be 43 this year, um, born and raised in Indiana. Uh, I graduated from uh, Lawrence North High School, so I'm pretty local to the area. Uh, my parents still live here in town. Uh, all my family pretty much lives here in town. So. So you're a Hoosier, a true Hoosier. Yeah, I'm a true Hoosier, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what about spiritually? Did you grow up in a Christian home? What was that like for you? Uh, yeah, I did. I mean, uh, my parents were believers. My grandparents were believers. Um, my aunts and uncles. Um, so I grew up in a Christian home with a good Christian family. Okay. But that wasn't something that really stuck with you through all of your years. Um, there was a, a bit of a turning point, right? Where you yes. kind of made a decision. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, probably middle school. Um, you know, I, I got to a point I was uh, hanging out with kids in the neighborhood, and, and I remember being made fun of uh, because I didn't know the secular artist that, you know, they were talking about. and. Um, I kind of just went home that night and was like, I never want to be in that position again. And um, I think that was kind of the turning point where I can say I denied my faith. Um, I didn't want to be labeled as a Christian boy in the neighborhood. And um, that was probably the, the first turning point in my life where I started going the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. um, I can say that I had that um, deny my faith experience. Um, and from there, my life continued, as you can imagine, to go in the wrong direction. And um, by high school, you know, I had already started drinking, doing drugs. So yeah, in, in high school, I, I sold drugs and, and um, kind of continued to hang with the wrong crowd. Um, and right after high school, uh, I moved out, um, continued hanging with the wrong crowd. Um, and continued going further away from Christ. Um, I continued to keep a job, so my family thought, oh, he's doing well, he's got a good job, he, you know, is doing the right things, um, but inside I was doing the total opposite. So, at what point did your family become aware of this? Did something happen that brought this to their attention? Um. No, so, um, well, one, one point in my life where I, you know, you would think that I would have learned a lesson. Um, about 19 years old, I got carjacked at gunpoint. Oh, my. Um, I was um, hanging with the wrong people uh, at the wrong hour, being out at an hour I shouldn't have been out, um, and, and doing things I shouldn't have been doing. Um, and I was um, in a neighborhood late at night, and waiting on this particular friend who had gone in another house and I'm just sitting there, windows down, listening to my music and um, all of a sudden my driver's door opens and there's a shotgun at the back of my head and um, a guy in a ski mask and he keeps 
saying something, but I can't understand what he's saying. And I kind of threw my hands up and said, you can have the car. And, and he kept saying, move over, but I couldn't hear him through the mask. And, and then finally he just hit me with the, the gun in my face Wow! and uh, kind of cocked it and put it to my head and said, move over. And I kind of understood him at that point. So I got in the passenger seat and he got in and kind of put the gun in between the seat. And it was kind of the back of my head and told me to put the car in drive. Um, which I did, I put it in drive and he kind of started driving through this neighborhood and making turns and um, he asked for all my money and I just had change because I had been out all night and um, didn't really have any money left so I put the change in there and he thought I was lying and told me to get money. I said that's what you see is what you get and then he asked for my gun, I said I don't have a gun and um, he kind of made some more turns and then he stopped the car and he told me to get out and I reached for the door handle and then he sped off again and the door slammed and uh, he's like you're not getting out and made some more turns and I just kind of looked at him I said look man what you see is what you get take it or leave it and he stopped the car and he told me to get out and I got out and I ran back the directions that he came and kind of just remembered which ways I needed to turn got back to the house where my guy I was hanging out with was and he was like what happened and I said I just got carjacked and we called the police and police came, made the report, and uh, then I went and just crashed at a friend's house. <clears throat> and my dad got a phone call at four o'clock in the morning that you know they found the car and it was on fire and uh, on a cul-de-sac. And of course, my dad, four o'clock in the morning, he has no clue what's going on. Didn't know that the car had been stolen. Didn't know where I was. I didn't bother to call and tell him. Uh, this was before cell phones, so you can imagine uh, about 8 o'clock that morning he started calling around to different people's houses trying to figure out where his son was and was his son okay. And uh, he finally found me and, and the place I was staying, the mom came and said, hey, your dad's on his way to get you. And so he picked me up and I got in the car and he didn't yell at me, he didn't, he just, are you okay? And yeah, I'm okay. And he could see that my cheek had been split open. He's like, let's go to the hospital and get that looked at. And went to the hospital and I got stitched up. And, and uh, I mean, you'd think after a incident like that, that one would be like, hello, it's time to wake up. And I didn't. Um, you know, the car that I had, my grandpa had loaned me the money to get the car. And kind of the deal was, is that I was supposed to be putting money every month into a checking account or a savings account to pay back the loan. Well, of course, now the car's stolen, so then he went to get the money out and there's nothing in it. You know, I hadn't put any money in it in probably six, seven months. Mm -hmm. um, and so, needless to say, my grandpa was upset with me. Sure. Um, but that didn't stop me. I uh, still had no fear of consequences, mm -hmm. no fear of life and death, um, I just kind of thought I was invincible. Wow, um, that would be a terrifying thing to go through, <laughs> but so it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough, <laughs> okay. it wasn't enough. Um, so I continued doing my things my way. Um, I continued selling drugs, um, continued to go deeper and deeper into that mm -hmm. and that lifestyle. Um, had convinced my dad to co-sign on a loan on a, another fancy car that I wanted. Um, so against his better judgment, he did it, and um, so life kind of kept going on, and um, 
one day, one night I was walking my dog in the apartments that I lived in and um, out of nowhere all these unmarked vehicles and with lights in them just kind of cornered me uh, where I was walking and all these officers got out um, kind of in their kind of like you see in the movies with their full bulletproof vests and guns and and you um, had no idea that this was about to happen. No, okay. I had no clue. I mean, like I said, no, no fear of consequences. <laughs> Think you're living on top of the world, and mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was kind of like I had been selling to an undercover for four months that I didn't know mm -hmm. about, and uh, kind of the guy walked out. He's like, "Remember me?" And it's like, then it kind of hit me. Yep, all clicked. <laughs> all clicked. Kind of like, huh? Okay. Uh-huh. Um, so they made me go in my apartment, get everything that I had, bring it out, tell the people in my apartment I was going with friends and, and mm -hmm. you know, they didn't want to alert anybody and mm -hmm. I sat in the police station for probably, I don't know, three or four hours and uh, I convinced them that I was going to work with them and and uh, I left there because I had to be at work the next morning. That's That was the only thing on my mind. I got to be at work at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. I can't miss work. I did not want to lose my job. and went to work and I just, I was supposed to stay in contact with him and I never did and um, got a call at work and they're like, hey, you're supposed to contact us. I was like, yeah, my lawyer told me not to talk to you and I hung up, <laughs> but I didn't have a lawyer. Um, and so time was running out for me mm -hmm. and uh, later that afternoon, again, same scenario, but this time it was at the car dealership I worked at on the showroom floor, they just came rushing in and Definitely made an example of me. Wow. Um, so, obviously I landed myself in jail. They weren't gonna play my game anymore. Uh -huh. um, and so, kind of uh, my cover was blown. My, uh, my parents had no clue uh, right. until my uncle called them and said, hey, your son just made the front page of the Fisher's Tribune. Oh, wow, that's how they found out? Yeah. Oh, um, my. He's, he's in jail. Um, and so, um, kind of they had gotten on the visitation list somehow, you know, figured out where I was because, of course, I didn't call anybody. I didn't let anybody know, hey, I'm in trouble. Mm -hmm. um, and I sat in jail for probably three months before I could get my bond low enough that I could get out of jail. Mm -hmm. um, and the same grandparents that loaned me money for the car that I didn't pay back, um, they helped me out again. and loan me the money to get out of jail. Mm. One would think that by this time, it's like, okay, surely this is, surely this was the last straw. Uh, that would be an opportunity. <laughs> it was the, I, the opportunity <laughs> was there, but um, it wasn't enough. Okay. Um, I stopped selling drugs, obviously, because it, uh, that was enough of a wake-up call for me, but um, I continued to live in a way that was not honoring to God in any way. Um, and you think that he spared my life, I mean, more times than I can count, but mm. in these two instances, God, he watched over me. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I couldn't see it. And so I was out on bond for about two years. Um, during that two years, um, before I went to court, um, my first son was born, Brayden, um, and I went to court about two months after he was born. Um, and the judge, um, you know, it was my first time being in trouble. Um, I was originally facing like 80 years in prison. Wow. Um, and they pleaded down. I ended up 
facing like 15 is what it got down to, but the judge was leaning on me and he said he was gonna, he gave me um, house arrest, he gave me probation and like 250 hours community service. And so um, I was on house arrest and I continued to kind of live like I'd never been in trouble. Mm -hmm. And so I violated my probation, which kicked me off the house arrest. Um, and before I went to court for that violation, um, I got another violation. Mm -hmm. So by the time I went back to court, um, you know, the judge had already been graceful once, um, but I pleaded that I had a son and I had a family I needed to take care of. And, and uh, so he was graceful again and he gave me work release. Mm -hmm. I violated work release six months in. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, um, I was locked up and I wasn't allowed out. Judge was done being gracious. Judge was done. He was done being <laughs> gracious. My, okay. my, my cards uh, were done. Mm -hmm. um, and I just remember um, Braden's mom and him at the time had come to visit me. And I just remember, um, I think something that clicked for me was um, as they were leaving, I remember reaching my hand through the cell and, and Braden was kind of over his mom's shoulder and kind of reaching out for me. And it was, uh, you know, as I turned around and walked away, it was kind of like, I realized like, wow, I've gone pretty far down. Um, and while I was locked up, um, my great grandma died, who I was really close to uh, growing up and um, I couldn't go to the funeral. Um, and it just, things started to sit in. Okay, and it started to realize that like the weight started to come down. Like, starting to sink in a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Like, your life is gone. You took it all the way to the edge. Um, and yet I didn't fall off. I didn't end up dead. Um, and so my dad dropped off. Um, this was a long time ago, but he dropped off a book from the left behind series, the first one. And I mean, I had nothing but time on my hands. So why not? <laughs> um, I think I read the book through cover to cover in like, I don't know, six or seven hours. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I just, and none to do, so I just read. And uh, after I finished that first book, I kind of realized it's like all the things that I was taught as a kid growing up in church, all those stories and, and just the different um, things in the Bible, it's like they started to come back, and I realized I don't want to be left behind. Mm. Uh, and I remember getting down on my knees in that jail cell and, and just crying out to God and saying, Oh God, you know, I've gone this far. Um, please forgive me. I want to accept you into my heart, ask you to be Lord of my life. Um, and you know, I committed my life to the Lord, but it's one thing to commit. It's another thing to have a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so I got moved over from the work release to the actual jail. Um, and I remember a phone call that I had with Braden's mom. Um, and she wasn't a believer. And I, I was just sharing, you know, my newfound faith and my excitement. And she said to me, you can't go to jail and start talking all these Christian things and then come out here and live how you want. Mm -hmm. Now, this is someone that's not a believer. And, mm -hmm. and I just remember hanging up that phone and thinking, that's it. Our relationship is done. This can't be anymore. I mean, my, my family kind of always told me, like, you're living in sin. You can't, mm -hmm. you can't live with a woman and not be married to her. Like, like I said, I knew all the right things. I just didn't apply them. 
And so when I hung up that phone, I just knew that was, that really wasn't her speaking, it was God speaking through her. And if this change was going to be real, something had to change. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started reading in my Bible and um, a lot because you have nothing but time on your hands. Um, and I knew I was facing some pretty serious charges um, because kind of at this point I was not, I was, there was no more. I'd had my first, my second, my third, my fourth chance. Um, it was pretty much, I was going to get the book thrown at me. I mean, that's what you believe. Um, and as I was reading, um, in Matthew, you know, there's a passage, and it talks about when you're handed over to the courts, you know, I'm going to give you the words to say. Don't worry about what you have to say. And, and it kind of as I read that, God kind of spoke to me, and I, I felt he was telling me that I needed to go into the courtroom, and I needed to confess and own up to the fact that I was guilty mm -hmm. and that he was going to take care of the rest. If I trusted him enough to do that, that he would take care of the rest. And for someone who's facing 15 years in prison, that's, that's a leap of faith. Absolutely. Um, but I believe that if you have faith as a mustard seed is what he says, you, you can move a mountain. Right. And most of us never really... I mean, when you think of that, when you think of the scripture, you can move a mountain. Most of us don't look at a mountain and say, yep, if I have the faith, I can make that move a mountain, move over here. Uh -huh. um, but I said, I'm going to believe this. I'm going to trust this. I just, I had that gut feeling that this is what I needed to do. Now, everybody in jail is like, you're nuts. You're, you're going to prison. If you do that, you're done. Um, so my day came. I had to go to court. I never got an attorney. I never got a public defender. And I went into the courtroom. I sat down started court and asked if I needed you know counsel and I said no I would like to speak and and um, I just I said your honor I am guilty of everything that is being presented before you I took your kindness for weakness um, you gave me grace and I just trampled on it and he just kind of stopped me he said son I gotta stop you right there he said you cannot say any of that without counsel present we're gonna he said recorder just disregard everything he just said he said, we've got to get you a public defender, and then we can come back in here and start over. And so I sat in jail another month or so. I got a public defender and um, met with him, kind of told him this is what I want to do. And he said, we can't do that. You, you need to go in and plead not guilty. This, I said, but I am guilty. Uh -huh. He said, I don't care. You need to plead not guilty. In other words, you're going you're gonna to go do 15 years in prison. And I said, that's not what I believe. Huh. So <clears throat> he left the jail, and then when I finally went to the court, and sat down with him um, before we went in. He, he wanted one more chance to try and convince me to do something different. I said, listen, you work for me. I'm going to go in here, and this is what we're going to do. Your mind was made up. Yeah, and you just believe me. Now, before I'd gone to court, I told the guys, and I said, I'm walking out that front door. Mm. I'm telling you, I'm walking out that front door. I'm not going to prison. And I just stood on it. I stood on believing. Um, you know, I, I, the, God says you can't have a wavering faith, right? You can't say you believe it, but not believe it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I believed it wholeheartedly. So we went in and we sat down and I said the same thing. You know, I'm guilty. I used your kindness for weakness. I did my own thing and didn't care about the consequences. And, and I'm, I asked your forgiveness. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, I've had a change. And I believe God wants me to speak to youth. I had this plan in my mind that I was going to go to youth, 
you know, become a youth pastor and I was going to speak to youth and I was going to tell all these great things of what not to do in life. And, mm-hmm. But that was my plan. It wasn't God's plan. Now, I believed God in what he was saying as far as trusting him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the judge looked at me and he said, son, if you're serious about change, I'm willing to give you one more chance. I'm willing to send you to a place that I know helps people in this situation. Uh, but I want you to know that the last guy I allowed to go there, he chose to go do 15 years in prison instead of the one year at this program. Wow. In my mind, I'm thinking, one year of program? I can do one year of program. I can do one year, and then I can go do this thing I'm thinking that I need to go do. And, uh-huh. and um, sure, where do I sign up? He said, well, so I had to go back to the jail, and, the, and you know, one of their... People from that program had to get in. I had to write a letter, you know, and, and ask to be accepted to the program and kind of go through the steps. And I finally got accepted to the program. So we went back to court um, and had the final hearing. And then when the court was done, um, the judge asked me to come up to his counter. Mm-hmm. And so I went up and um, he got down and came around and he stuck his hand out and he said, I forgive you and shook my hand and um, so I went back to the jail got my stuff and I walked out the front door just like you thought just you like would. I told him wow and nobody could believe me that's amazing that it ha- you know no one could believe that that happened and wow. so if you couldn't see God in that situation um, I don't know what else you would see it so I mean I definitely saw God work yeah Uh, and I have one question before you move on to the next step in your journey was there were there any other Christians in the jail that kind of yeah there was um, you you know I was very good friends I became very good friends with the chaplain um, and while I was in there I was leading Bible studies and had several I don't know maybe five or six guys that I became friends with that were you know whether you want to call it jailhouse religion or, you know, but you can do one of two things in there. You can read your Bible or you can hang out with the other guys that are doing the wrong thing. So it wasn't that I didn't have the choice to do the wrong thing because there's always the wrong things in there. Uh-huh. Um, but I made a choice in my mind. I was done. I was, that life was done and I was moving on. Okay. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, that was my encouragement, you know, is this, I was in the Word, I was reading the Bible, I was meeting with guys and having Bible studies and, and trying to learn as much as I could on my own. Yeah, so you did have at least a little bit of a support system around yeah. you as you made this change. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's wonderful. So then tell us about this place where the judge sent you. Uh, so it's uh, part of Wheeler Mission Ministries. It's called the Hebron Center. Um, it's down in Bloomington. Um, they've since grown the program, but um, when I went um, in '04. It was, um, it's 350 acres uh, surrounded by 16,000 acres of Monroe, Morgan Monroe County Forest. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it's, it's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, it's got a 32-acre lake. I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful piece of property. Uh-huh. Um, and so you had class five days a week or four days a week. Uh, Mondays was like praise and worship. So you went to class in the morning and then you worked in the afternoon. Um, and back then we built mailboxes, we um, built birdhouses. Um, they had like a lawn and garden group that took care of the grounds. They had like a cleaning crew that, you know, they, it was like a 
community. Uh -huh. um, and so I worked on a sawmill for a long time. Mm. That was my kind of thing. I worked on a sawmill. Um, but when I was there, um, Braden had been and his two brothers had been taken from his mom by social services. So God kind of knew my personality. He knew that he kind of needed to box me in because there's no fences around it. If you wanted to run away in the middle of the night, you could run away. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, even though I had committed my life to Christ, I still never saw kind of um, the things that they were pointing out to me that I hurt my family, that I you know, uh, affected my family. In my mind, I, I had this other life. I never, I never stole from my family. I never took anything from them. I never called them and said, I need money to pay this dealer. Or, you know, I, I just I had two separate lives. So in my mind, I never affected them. Mm -hmm. um, and so God kind of knew what it was going to take. So while I was there, I had to go to Marion County and go to court and child services for Braden. Mm -hmm. And whichever parent did the right thing and got their life on track, would have opportunity to have custody of Braden. So every month I had to go back and report. So Child Services said, if you don't finish your first court order, you'll never see your son again. So mm -hmm. now I had like two court orders <laughs> telling me I had to finish this program. Mm -hmm. and it's, Lots of motivation. <laughs> yeah, and it's, um, it's like a Christian boot camp. Mm -hmm. um, it was, um, you know, they equate it to one year there is like four years in seminary school. Wow. So, I mean, you're just saturated in the Word. Um, they have this thing called body ministry where you do votes and, and they'll sit you on the stool. If you're not willing to receive, you get kind of sat on the stool and people speak into your life. Mm. And so it was, I was probably a third of the way through the program. Um, and they kind of had put my papers in front of me several times. I was taken to the office and said, look, we're ready to dismiss you. Mm. You know, you're unwilling to receive, you're unwilling to see it. Um, there was even a time where they stopped my parents from coming from visitation because they said, like, you, you got to get this. If you don't get this, you know, the reality is you're either going to be dead or you're going to end up in prison. That's mm. the reality of that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, and so one day I was walking across the the field of work and kind of just pleading with God, like, God, I don't see it. I don't get it. And it was just like, like a flood. It just hit me. I mean, I saw, you know, when I got carjacked, I never called my dad and just kind of the sleepless nights that he had worrying, like, where's my son? Is my son okay? You know, and, and how I affected my mom and how they were affected when, you know, I was on the front page of a newspaper. And, mm -hmm. and it was just like, all those things started to just, it's like the, the blinders were lifted and I, and I saw it. Um, and it, it broke me. Mm -hmm. And so um, I can say that's kind of another breakthrough in my walk with Christ. Um, and I had opportunity to, to write forgiveness letters to my parents and to my grandparents. And um, one that sticks out to me the most is my Nana, who, mm -hmm. you know, growing up, I was always the hyper kid. My brother and cousins were the smart ones, the, you know, um, calm ones. And I, I felt growing up, she gravitated to them more than me. And so I kind of, I hated her. I resented her for it. Uh, and I wrote her a long forgiveness letter about just being honest with her and, and saying, I ask for forgiveness. And, and today I'm probably the closest with her. And she's 104 now. So, I mean, it's, um, I've had many years to be able to really grow that relationship and I'm grateful for it. I, you know, I, when you lose things, you learn 
what it means, what relationships mean, and how much to cherish the time you have with people. Um, and so anyways, back to it. Um, so every month I had to go back to court for Braden. And um, coming to the end of my program, um, you know, social services basically says you got to have a job. You got to have a place to live. You got to be able to feed and clothe your child. Um, you know, you got to have a vehicle. You got to have all these things. There's a whole list. So I'm looking at this list thinking, okay, and coming to the end of my program, you have an opportunity to stay for a second year, which is their servant leadership training, where you kind of become a counselor and you counsel guys and you kind of pour back into guys that are in the program. So I'm looking at this list and I'm thinking, okay, well, God, I really can't stay. I'm kind of convincing, kind of making the equation that, well, I can't stay because I got to do this, God, you know, and even in my heart, I kind of knew I needed to stay. It was like, well, I can't. Um, and so kind of wrestling with God on that. And so the camp said, hey, we want to offer this one bedroom apartment to you and you and Braden can stay in there. Um, and then, you know, you can stay and, and we're going to you know, allow you to earn some money so you can pay and, and we'll let you use a camp vehicle. And in my mind, it's like, oh, that's all great, but I don't have a babysitter for him and I can't afford a babysitter. So mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, God, I just don't think it's going to work out. And that next Monday during praise and worship, um, one of the staff members kind of called me out and said, hey, um, my wife and I, we want to offer to watch Braden free of charge so that you can stay a second year. Wow. And it was kind of like, <laughs> okay, God, I give up. Like everything on that list. Everything on that list. They took care of. He took care of. That's I didn't amazing. have to, I didn't even have to ask, uh-huh. you know, he just, he just took care of it. Wow. And it was kind of like, um. I couldn't argue with him anymore. I couldn't wrestle with him uh-huh. that I couldn't stay. Even though I still had one more hurdle that, you know, the courts had to say that it was okay for this child to live uh-huh. Uh-huh. on a drug and alcohol camp <laughs> with, you know, drug addicts and alcoholics. Uh-huh. And you didn't have to stay a second year. No, as I didn't part have of to. your um, nope. agreement. So this nope. Nope. okay. No, nope. I I by the end of my first year I would have fulfilled okay. all agreements. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really have a job to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have, you know, because I'd been in, and it's kind of like you go to a job interview. Well, where have you been the last year? Well, I've been in a program. Right. You know, um, so I go back to, well, actually, uh, the court sent down Braden's attorney because they needed to see, because I had kind of mm-hmm. told them what I wanted to do. And, and so they sent an attorney down to look at the facilities. And um, I walked the whole camp with this lady. Mm-hmm. And as we're walking, she's like, you know, um, don't take this the wrong way, but over these past 11 months, I've watched you physically change. Mm-hmm. Every month when you would come back, you just physically changed. And my appearance didn't change, but as Christ increased in my life, I naturally decreased. And mm-hmm. that's the change that she saw over that year. Mm-hmm. And so when I finally went back to court um, for Braden, um, I showed up. His mom didn't, and so kind of by default, I was going to be awarded custody. Um, And the judge looked at his attorney and said, do you have any recommendations? And she said, Judge, um, there's no better place for this child to be than with his father down Mm. there at that camp. Wow. So just another evidence of God opening doors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're talking about a secular court um, that, you know, most of the time, courts are going to give it to the mother, give custody to the mother, mm-hmm. um, 
they're definitely not going to say, yeah, let's send this kid down to a drug and alcohol camp that's filled with drug addicts and alcoholics. Um, I can't imagine that. There. I can't imagine that happens very often. <laughs> no, I, I don't know that it has ever happened. Uh huh. Um, so I got custody of Braden, and it took I think another week or so before I actually fully uh, got him. Um, finished um, my first year, and, and um, you know, there's a tradition down there that when you finish your first year, uh, you get baptized in the lake. Okay. So you know, your old life, your going under and you're coming up with your new life um, and they do it year-round so luckily I graduated in September oh, when it was timing. nice and warm <laughs> but I remember that second year you know in the middle of December taking chainsaws and cutting holes in the ice oh, so wow. they could do baptisms okay um, so again God knew what I needed uh-huh. <laughs> warm weather uh, warm water uh-huh. um, so I ended up Brady and I stayed a second year um, and during that second year I, I was up in Indy for something, and, and I went to Hamilton County because I, I just wanted to visit um, the judge and, and, and thank him. And, you know, we're on a, ever since then, we've been on a first name basis. Mm-hmm. He's sent me books to read, and um, I'm on the elevator, and I see the original prosecutors, just him and I are on the elevator. And, and I knew it was him. I know he didn't recognize me, and um, I just kind of looked at him and said, Hey, I, I don't know if you remember me, but. Um, I'm Eric West, and uh, you prosecuted me, and he just kind of looked at me like that, and he was like, I'm so sorry. He's like, but don't mind me for saying this, but you just look so disheveled before. Huh. You know, but again, it was, God changed me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that I physically changed, but Christ increased in my life, and by that, by default, I naturally decreased. And so that glow that Christ creates in your life, that joy that is unspeakable, is what people were seeing. Um, so again, we, I continued living there with Braden, um, and, um, what was that like living in a place like that with a young child? Yeah, he was, uh, two and a half. Um, well, considering we kind of spent almost two years apart, mm-hmm. um, and he was kind of in foster care, his, uh, aunt and uncle on his mom's side were his foster parents for that year. Um, they kind of stepped in, um, we had a lot of bumpy roads, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it was a lot of growing pains, and, and but it worked. You know, God kind of knew what we needed. If I had been in some big house, him at one end, me at the other end, we wouldn't have bonded. We wouldn't have, um, you know, connected. And, and we spent, you know, when I wasn't working, we were together. We did everything together. Um, and... You know, we would, I would always remind guys, you're not going to get this year back. You know, when you're there a full year and you have no distractions, most people in their lifetime don't just get to take a year and just saturate themselves in the Word and spend time with God. And I mean, today I don't have a year, you know, to just take off and, and do that. Um, and so that's a time in my life I'll never get back, but it was a time that I cherished. Um, and so... As I was there, um, you know, God and His uh, magic plan, um, I was coming towards, um, well, if I back up a little bit, um, before I got Braden, mm-hmm. um, my wife today, Sam, uh, her brother-in-law and sister, um, he actually works at the camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she came to visit them while I was towards the end of my program. I think I was... It was a little, probably a month or two before, 
Uh, and I just remember her coming through the line and serving her food. And I recognized her. She didn't recognize me, but I recognized her. Um, and so, you know, she left and then she came back the next year. And I knew she was coming back this time because Dennis and I had become really close. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we worked together. We talked about students together, you know, and, and um, so he was kind of like, oh, you should ask her out. So I went to the director and said, hey, when, when Sam comes, can I ask her out for coffee? And, and uh, he was like, sure, but uh, you got to take Braden with you. He's your accountability partner. Okay. And so she came back and... I asked her for coffee, and um, so she was there for about five weeks. We dated for five weeks, and uh, I asked her to marry me, and she said yes. So that's awesome. You and, know, yeah, now we have uh, three other children uh -huh. together. So um, yeah, that's so. So to bring it all kind of back, you know, is that even I kind of equate it to the prodigal, even though I ran, I mean, I ran as far as I could. Um, God met me at that lowest low mm -hmm. and he didn't turn me away. He didn't leave me stranded. Um, he loved me. He carried me back and it just and showed me his love along the way. And that when I trust him, when I fully trust him, he'll open the doors that he wants to open and he'll close the doors that he wants closed. Mm -hmm. And I think so often in our lifetime, we miss that. We miss that, you know, we, we pray for somebody to get healed, but that may be not be God's will. You know, and it's like, well, why didn't they get healed, God? But that may not be his will, mm -hmm. you know? We need to pray that his will be done, you know? And, and so it's when you see that and you have walked it, it becomes so much more real to you. Yeah, I'm sure there's many pieces of your story that you probably would have never imagined, you know, as, as a young person and um, never would have dreamed your life would have gone that way. But now looking back at it and you can see how God worked in every step along the way. I mean, that's just an amazing testimony. Yeah, I uh, thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I've even looked back further, you know, to times when I was a little kid and mm -hmm. just seen, you know, now where, where God had his hand on me ever since I was a little kid and I just couldn't see it, you know? And I think this, the, the important thing is, you know, as a little kid, I didn't understand. It's like, oh, we go to church and yeah, we sing songs and, and we go to Sunday school and we, and we hear these stories, but I never heard about relationship. Mm. And I think that's the thing that I came to really learn is that God desires a relationship. You can have religion and you can make all the right sounds and say all the right mm -hmm. things, but if you don't have a relationship, you really can't feel the Holy Spirit speak to you. Mm -hmm. And so that relationship is key. Yeah. Are there any scripture verses or passages that really stood out to you in your journey or, or encouraged um, you today yeah. even? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think one that probably stood out to me the most um, in my walk um, is First Peter uh, 4. Uh, one, and I'll probably take it through, I'll just take it through 11. Um, it says, uh, therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. 
For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And in all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you. But they shall give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. And what is it about that that just really speaks uh, to you? I mean, for me, the, the, the old life that he's talking about was the life I lived, you know, and, and you know, many of us are one bad decision away from, from blowing it. And it's kind of a saying, you know, everybody's one boneheaded decision away from blowing it. And so we were born sinners. Our heart is bent towards sin. It's very easy to, to sin. Mm -hmm. But when you realize that God's saying, hey, you had your fun. Come and follow me and, and walk with me into greatness. And, you know, we live in a world that you have every creature comfort around to make you comfortable, to make you, um, you know, feel happy. Oh, I got the new latest iPhone. Now I'm, I, that's it. I needed that. And then it's like, oh, no, I need this. There's something else, right? And we can continue to, to have all these things to make us happy. But that's not true happiness, right? God says when, when he comes into our heart, he is the true joy. Right? The joy is new every morning. So every morning I can wake up and I can choose to serve God, and that joy is new. It's something new. It's something fresh. Um, I can get up and grab my new iPhone, and it doesn't make me new or fresh. Or It's like, well, it was the same as it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, that scripture, I, it just resonates to me because God's like, hey, you had your fun. Now come and follow me. Yeah, yeah, that, that's really amazing. Your, your whole story is just so inspiring. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing it with us, being vulnerable, and just um, letting us hear about how God's been at work in your life. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm yeah. really happy that I got to be here. Well, I hope you will join us again next week. It'll be our very last week of Faith Stories for the summer. I'll be speaking with Kara Pabone, and she has a special place in my heart because she was one of my teachers in high school. So I hope you will come back and hear her amazing story. She's been all over the globe since then, and she has a lot of good things to say.